In the time of King Herod, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem asking, Where is the child who has been born King of the Jews? For we observed his star at its rising and have come to pay him homage. When King Herod heard this, he was frightened and all Jerusalem with him. And calling together all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Messiah was to be born. They told him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for so it has been written by the prophet, And you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for from you shall come a ruler who is to shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod secretly called for the wise men, and learned from them the exact time when the star had appeared. Then he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child. When you found him, bring me word, so that I may also go and pay him homage. When they had heard the king, they set out, and there ahead of them went the star that they had seen at its rising, until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw that the star had stopped, they were overwhelmed with joy. On entering the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they knelt down and paid him homage. Then opening their treasure chest, they offered him gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they left for their own country by another road. This is the word of the Lord. Matthew uses the word magi. Magi. It is a word that we know in classical Greek. It is most often used to refer to a group of astrologers who practiced in ancient Persia. These were very astute observers of the heavenly patterns. Uh, they had picked out those that seemed to be wandering. We later came to know them as planets. Those that didn't seem to wander. They later came to be known as stars. Uh, though they observed very carefully, they were not always good interpreters of what they had seen. For example, even with all of their work, and they still believed the earth was the center of the universe. They still believed their flat earth was uh, lighted and darkness came because one sun moved around it every 24 hours. So they made a lot of incorrect uh, decisions. But Matthew's point in telling you about the Magi, of course, is to remind you that finally a descendant of David is coming to be king. Uh, Grant Carpenter led us as our cantor in moving through a portion of the 72nd Psalm. It's called a royal psalm or an enthronement psalm. And that Matthew probably does not have in mind Persia, but Arabia, Saudi Arabia. If Solomon was great enough for the Queen of Sheba to come and offer gifts, then certainly Mary's child Jesus is even greater, and therefore the wise men come from the east. Let's take a look at this very important story that begins our season of Epiphany. Number one, Matthew is clear that these who are coming are non-Jews. They are the first non-Jews to get a look at Mary's baby. And that is most significant to you and me. The Reverend Eva Marie Campbell read to you from one of Paul's writings, and the text is appropriate today because Paul was talking about this most significant happening for all Gentiles. God has decided to include you in the plan of salvation. 
that 1,800 years before, God had sought out an old man, Abraham, and an old woman, Sarah, told them they were going to be founders of a new nation, a nation that would teach the world there's only one God, Israel's God, and what that God expects of everyone whom he has created. After 1,800 years, the Jews had grown weary of their mission. They were nowhere close to convincing the world that there was only one God, and that one God was Israel's God, and God infused the mission with new Gentile energy and enthusiasm. Epiphany from the Greek epiphanio, to reveal, to show, to make manifest, God's Son has been revealed to us Gentiles. I was reading an article the other day in the Wall Street Journal about understudies on Broadway. This article was saying that serious drama is hard to produce on Broadway and make a profit unless the director and producer are able to attract celebrities to their plays. So one of the plays that sold out this past season for every performance was called The Steady Rain. It's a story about two fellows in Chicago. Uh, Hugh Jackman was chosen to play, and Daniel Craig, the new James Bond. So these two guys have instant name recognition with theater goers, and tickets were gobbled up immediately. Two other young men were chosen to be their understudies, very capable young men whose names you would not know. They are both graduates of Juilliard. Uh, they were instructed that they had to speak the dialogue in the play the way Chicagoans talk. In fact, the script was taken to Chicago, and real people, not actors, were asked to read the script the way they would read it. And these two young understudies had to learn to speak the way Chicagoans do. They had to learn every line, and they had to show up every performance, be made up, and costumed and not once did they get to go on stage not a single time the play closed the other night it's over the steady rain has come and gone as I read this story this text you know I was working on working on working on and I suddenly thought well we may have waited for 1800 years but finally God invited us onto the stage he finally invited all of us Gentiles in a way that we can hear and understand onto the stage of God's great drama. Number two. In the time when Herod was king, Matthew wrote, some people from the east came saying, where is the new king that's just been born? And Herod was terrified deeply shaken, one scholar translated it. Utterly astounded, another said. Because Herod, you see, was a, a fake. Uh, that is, he was not a Jew. He certainly was not a descendant of the household of David. David's descendants had been kings of Judah for 400 years, but that 400 years came to an end when the Babylonians marched on the city destroyed the temple, destroyed the royal palace. No descendant of David had sat on the throne for almost 600 years. The Romans put Herod on the throne. He was an Idumean. Idumea, the territory just south of Judea in New Testament times. In the Old Testament, it's called the territory of the Edomites. 
In the book of Genesis, we're led to believe that perhaps the Edomites were descendants of Esau. You remember the twins, Jacob and Esau. The Israelites would count their history through Jacob's side of the family. And that Esau, perhaps, established this tribe known as the Edomites. If that be so, they had been separated for 1,800 years and were not considered Jews. So to hear that a Jew, a Jew has been born who aspires to be the king, he was terrified in the city with him because most people are afraid of change. Herod had been king 40 years. The Romans put him on the throne in the year 44 before the Common Era. He died in the year 4 before the Common Era. 40 years. Talk about a new king frightened him. One of the movies that's been highly regarded by some critics this past year was called Crazy Heart. Jeff Bridges played the lead. Maggie Gyllenhaal was the co-star. Jeff Bridges, now 60 years old himself, is playing the part of an old, run-down country-western singer and songwriter. He's had better days. He's been pretty successful when he was a younger man, but his smoking and his drinking and his womanizing has led him to a very cheap, tawdry motel in Santa Fe, New Mexico. When a perky young woman who works for the local newspaper is called and asked if she might interview him, that she writes about country western music and she would like to interview him, and he agrees to let her come over to the motel room where he is. And when she walks in and he sees how pretty she is, how attractively dressed she is, and discovers how articulate she is, she asks him, What else would you like to talk about? And he said, how bad you make this room look. Just her presence helped him take another look at who he was and where he was and to realize how ugly and dirty and tawdry it was. But recently Jeff Bridges was interviewed and asked, uh, what's your favorite line in the play, the movie? Which one did you like best? And he said it was a song that he sang right near the end where he sang, I used to be somebody, but now I'm somebody else. This story is about the possibility of a new beginning. If you're not terrified at the thought of change, there's a possibility that something really good can happen because the one who's capable of making it happen has invited you onto the stage. Number three, notice the difference in the way Matthew tells the story. The attitude of Herod and the attitude of the Magi when they reach that stable where Mary and the baby are. They were filled with joy, the Bible says. Matthew says they were filled with joy. And they opened up their chests and gave him presents, gold. Frankincense and myrrh were not native uh, to Judea. Um, frankincense and myrrh came from Arabian Peninsula. They were rosins, much cherished, very expensive. They knelt down and paid homage to him with joy that something good, something better has come. 
just before Christmas, I was reading some of those articles about good things to buy folks for Christmas, something unusual for somebody who has everything. And I suddenly read about a DVD that has been produced from an old television program from 1953. Even I was a little boy in 1953. There were dramas on television back in 1953 that were live dramas. That is, what was happening on stage you were seeing as it happened. If the actors flubbed a line or someone missed an entrance, you saw it. Playhouse 90 was one of those. Goodyear had a theater the same way. And the play that had was presented on television live that night has now been reproduced on DVD. It made Patty Chayefsky a well-known name in America. It made a young actor named Rod Steiger a well-known name in America. It was called Marty. It was made into a movie a few years later with Ernest Borgnine and was not as good, not nearly so good, as that done on television. Rod Steiger was playing the part of a young, short, bald, fat, butcher in the Bronx of New York whose mother is constantly telling him he needs a wife you need a wife and finally he said mama whatever it is that women are looking for it ain't me and so every night when he was worked all day as a butcher he goes to a bar and drinks with his buddy and they talk about women women and Rod Steiger's character, Marty, says, When you've been punched around most of your life, you become a professor of pain. A professor of pain. But finally he gears up his courage and goes to a dance hall. And he meets a young woman who's as plain as he is. And his buddy tells him the next night, You could do better. But Marty says, I had a good time, and I'm expecting to have a good time tonight. And if I have a good time next weekend, and the weekend after that, dancing with her, I'm going to get down on my knees and ask her to marry me. And then he said, you know why I like her? Because good-heartedness is no accident. He met somebody with a good heart. A good heart. That should bring joy to all the world. People of good hearts, people who intend the right things, the best things, who stand for what's really, really good. God invites you to come on stage and experience good-heartedness. Number four. Warned in a dream... They did not go back and tell Herod where they had found the new young king. They went home by a different way. Dr. Eugene Boring in his commentary on this passage says, This is intended by Matthew to be God's action in this whole thing. He knows that Herod is not sincere. He doesn't want to come and pay homage that in fact Herod will try to kill all the babies around Bethlehem being sure he gets the right one and kills him too. But God is acting here. It's God who's whispering into the sleeping minds of these strangers from the east. Go a different way. 
Go a different way. Let me mention one more movie, Invictus. Uh, we liberal arts majors know about Invictus. Invictus was written by William Hinley, an Englishman who was born in 1849, 12 years before the Civil War started in our country. He was a sickly child. In fact, by the time he was 10 years old, he was diagnosed as having a tubercular infection in his bones. His left leg was amputated just below the knee when he was 16. There was talk of amputating his right leg when someone recommended him to a physician who was establishing quite a reputation in fighting disease. His name was Dr. Lister. He was treated successfully, though every once in a while, every few years, he would have to go back to a sanitarium kind of place and be treated, sometimes three, four years at a time. But he had gotten married, and he and his wife had had a baby, and that little girl, whom he loved better than life, died. Just a child, she died. William Henley was not having a good time, not having a good life. One leg by the time he was 16. Father died when he was 19. Little girl died when he was 25. At 26, he wrote Invictus. There are people who saying you've just been dealt a bad hand. Fate has dealt you a bad hand. And he wrote, I am the master of my fate. I am the captain of my soul. I get to decide how I deal with all the hurts and pains of life, all the opportunities of life, I get to decide. Well, the movie is not about William Henley, of course. It's about Nelson Mandela. Morgan Freeman plays him. It's a true story. A true story about Nelson Mandela's become president of South Africa, of knowing the great animosity that exists between black and white when apartheid finally ended of deciding that maybe this white man's game called rugby could unite his country if he could get black people to root for these white athletes, if they could all be for South Africa together. You remember Nelson Mandela? He had just gotten out of prison, imprisoned 27 long years because he was doing everything he knew how to destroy the old system of apartheid who believed it was not fair for white people to rule over, own, and separate themselves from black people. 27 years he spent in prison. He was allowed one pin up on his wall. Not a beautiful woman. The poem Invictus. I am the master of my fate. I am the captain of my soul. And when he was released from prison, after 27 years, he ran for president of this new democratic government. He was elected and tried with all his might to bring black and whites together in one country. This rugby team was just one way he tried to make that happen. He and Archbishop Tutu started holding courts in South Africa. White people were brought into court, and black people got to tell every horrible, nasty, hateful, mean thing that had been done to them. And then they were forgiven. They were forgiven. Nelson Mandela believed the only way they could have a country together was for somebody who had been wronged to forgive somebody who had wronged them. I wonder where he got that idea. 
Well, when he was a little boy, his mother started taking him to a Methodist church in South Africa. He went to a Methodist college called Wesleyan in South Africa. When he was a little boy, his mother walked with him down the aisle of that little church, stood right behind him when he was asked, Do you believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth? He said he did. Do you believe that Jesus of Nazareth was a long-awaited Messiah of God? He said he did. Do you believe if you pray to him in your heart and confess your sins to him, he will forgive you and give you life, life abundant, life everlasting? He said he did believe and that he would. And he was still trying really hard to help black people and white people, old people and young people believe there is a way. God has provided a way for us to move forward to peace and understanding and goodwill toward all.